I'm resisting the urge. I'm not going to say it. Say it. We've started the podcast. Okay. Welcome back. What do you say? Let's talk about welcome to the next. What do you always say? <laughs> say it. I can't remember. That's a, uh, welcome back to Let's Talk About God. Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. Episode 15. There you Can go. Can you believe it? So you got to do it. episodes. It's so good to be back. I don't know why, but it feels like it's been forever since we've recorded the last episode. And I don't think it has. I don't think we've gotten off schedule. No. It just feels like it's been an eternity. It just, I don't know why, because to me, it feels like summer is flying by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, summer has gone by by the time this podcast comes out, right? Yeah, it'll be September. Because this is August when we're recording this, but yeah, it's already September, so... Okay. This is just nuts. This is just (laughs) like what's going on right now. Oh, but it feels good to be back. Really excited about what we're um, talking about today. Uh, Before we get into it, though, we've got something really exciting, a nice uh, addition to the Let's Talk About God podcast. we know that as you're listening to these podcasts, these uh, that the episodes might kind of stir up your mind, stir up your thinking, and you may have some questions. And so what we want to do is we want to give you the opportunity to actually send in questions. And if your question um, can be answered in this way, we would love to answer your question at the end of a Let's Talk About God episode. So stay tuned um, starting in November to the end of the episodes, and we'll be answering some questions, some short questions. But if you send us in a question that we say, okay, this is this is deep enough, this has got enough to it, we might even make an entire podcast out of the question that you send in. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to go to Instagram, and we want you to search High Praises Church and send a direct message, send a DM, and just um, say, hey, this is for Let's Talk About God podcast. Here's my question or my questions, and we want to write those down. We also want to encourage you, if you're on Facebook, find High Praises Church um, on Facebook and send us, once again, a direct message there. Tell them what it's for and uh, and send us your questions, and your question just might get answered at the end of an episode, or we might even make an entire episode out of it. There's no question limit. If you've got one, if you've got a hundred, we want them all. Let them fly. We want to write them down. We want to answer them for you. And if we can't answer them, well, sorry. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. We'll do the best we can. And uh, I just want to say again, thanks to every listener. Um, One of our staff members who kind of monitors all this for us, told us that we're seeing five to 600 listens an yeah. episode. Which That's correct, we, yeah. How, how, we've done this like six months maybe. Yeah, not been around long. And, and we're just blown away, mm-hmm. and we're just finding out that it's spreading and people are shed, spare, uh, uh, spreading the news and sharing it. Seems like it's been word-of-mouth growth. I tried Especially. to get spreading and sharing together, and I got shredding, shredding and just shredding together. the news. That was crazy, <laughs> but the, you know, it's we've, we're excited because that's why we're doing this. Uh, I mean, we we kind of focus on high praises, and we want our high praises people, but we want it to we want as many people as want to everywhere to listen to it. Because my running joke is one day we're going to go syndicated. Yeah, that's my running joke about this. We joke joke about it, but we're just Evan and I are having fun, aren't we? Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and so we just want you to benefit. But share it, tell people. Um, I did it. I did it yesterday with my um, my. Uh, I guess I have a hairstylist. I don't go to a barber. It's, yeah, it's a woman. Really She's a hairstylist. Yeah. And um, Barbara is an old dude with a beard. Yeah, yeah, and has the the little circular blue yeah. and white thing out front, but. Um, she's like 28 and 
I was, I was telling her about the pie and we got her phone and I subscribed her and she's like, I can't wait to listen to it. So, um, yeah, just thanks for listening. Yeah, it's awesome. And thanks to, uh, Coleman, our sound engineer for the idea for sending in questions. It's been quite the team effort. So that's helped us out. So we're excited. Yep. It's going to be good. Hey, we have got something really great for September um, that we have lovingly called it Sacrament September, which is the lamest <laughs> that is so possible corny. name. <laughs> Here's why. In the month of September, um, we're going to be talking about baptism, and we're going to be talking about communion. Now, just go ahead and say it. If we'd have done it next month, if it we'd would have done it in October, it'd have been Ordinance October. There you go. <laughs> You, we, we're gonna, that's so bad. Evan. This is just that's so, so cheesy. <laughs> Happy hour, like, what are you talking about? Well, let's explain that. All right. So um, we are talking about baptism and communion. And depending what um, what background you're from, what Christian background you're from, you might uh, have heard this called a sacrament. You might have heard this called um, an ordinance, or maybe you've just heard it called the commandment by Christ. We just got to do it. I don't know. Whatever you may be calling it, but we want to talk about uh, the the two. What what would you call them? A ritual, two acts, acts of worship, acts of worship that Christ specifically commanded um, for all believers. Um, and so the reason that we've we've called communion and baptism, the reason we've used the word sacrament is because historically some people in the church have defined them as sacraments, which is just basically the visible form of an invisible grace. Now, even that word gets a little hairy um, because some people say, well, there's an actual special grace in the physical thing. And other people say, no, 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 it's just a sign of what God has already done in your heart. <laughs> so even with the name Sacrament September, we're already getting people in an argument. Yeah, it could be, especially if somebody's more from a church background that's more liturgical or whatever, or, or just high depending church. Your high church. Um, I think you and I probably prefer ordinance. Mm-hmm. It just seems to, um, it, it probably maybe seems to fit more. It's clear. On, it's clear for us in our viewpoint. But um, before we get into this, and we'll and we'll do this in the next episode too. We'll just kind of use this as a preface. But an ordinance is—you've um, already touched on it, Evan. An ordinance uh, ordinances are important because they're commanded mm-hmm. by Jesus. So if you go to Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty, you have the Great Commission, and there you have the the commandment by Jesus to water baptize. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to um, Luke twenty two seventeen through twenty, and also First Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty through twenty six. Um, it's strongly implied, um, very strongly, and it's and then by church experience understood mm-hmm. his, his church tradition or history is that uh, it's a commandment for the Lord's supper. But let's just talk just for a second about an ordinance. Um, what that is, there's sort of three things that I want to show mm-hmm. real quick. Uh, it's a visible sign of the saving work of Jesus Christ. So it is a sign, um, both water baptism and communion, of the saving work. The gospel, the saving work of Christ is uh, tremendously uh, inherent in both of those. Represented, yeah. Second, and that's the second one, it's an outward representation of the great realities of salvation. Mm -hmm. So that's the second thing. Third, uh, and we've already said this, it's an act of worship. And I think that's really important. We're going to probably talk about that more as we get into the to the podcast. But it's an act of worship um, that places the believer in real 
communion and fellowship with Jesus. It, well, you say, okay, well, you're talking about communion, the Lord's Supper? Well, not just that, with baptism. Exactly. There, There is a real, okay, very real, very tangible, existential, if you will, communion or fellowship that that occurs in these acts of worship. Absolutely. And uh, one more thing I just want to share. Ordinances have three qualities, and that's why these are so, – so that you know why we're talking about these two things today. Number one, number one, they're instituted by Jesus himself. So obviously that makes them of the utmost importance. Exactly. Um, they're tied to his atoning death and ultimately salvation. So that makes them very important. And three, they're repeated in the church. Yeah. So that means it must be important throughout history. So both of these are repeated, tied to salvation, instituted by Jesus. So when we're here talking about ordinances today, particularly water baptism and next episode communion, mm-hmm. um, the, these are these are incredibly vital issues for every believer. They're important. They're commanded. You know, they're they're necessary that believers engage in them. They're not options. They're not options yeah. at all. To not do them is to displease Christ. To walk in disobedience. There you go. Call sin. Yeah. <laughs> if we just, you know, want to be want to be straightforward just about be it. Straightforward but, about it. Um, but yeah, they're extremely important, um, commanded by Christ, and it's something that we should do. And so today we want to start off by talking about baptism. Um, to give the the short thirty second you know, definition, baptism is a sacrament or an ordinance, whatever you want to call it, but we'll call it an ordinance fits us best, commanded by Jesus that one be immersed in water, that's our view, to represent the induction into the covenant community of God and to identify one with the death and resurrection of Christ. How did I do? What did I miss? No, I mean, I, I, I think... I think you did. I mean, because there are a lot of nuances to this ordinance. So yes. I think you did a good job in your 30 seconds. <laughs> I know that definition. was a lot. Maybe, you know, induction to the covenant community is a foreign <laughs> phrase. We're going to break everything down um, to, to give you the, the most robust understanding that we can on baptism. So let's go ahead. Let's give just a real quick kind of history leading up. Uh, to baptism. Baptism is a primarily New Testament concept, but it's got some Jewish origins. Um, j- just the idea of water being something that purifies, that's natural to a human. I mean, obviously water cleans. We use water to clean and to purify. But even in the Old Testament, we see immersion in water used to ritually purify after a number of acts like touching a corpse eating or touching a dead animal, contagious skin infections, all kinds of things. So, you know, even in in the Old Testament law, water has that purifying effect. Now let's skip over to Second Temple Judaism. Um, after the Second Temple has been built, um, we see baptism as a proselyte ritual. So that means when a Gentile converts to the Jewish faith, what they would do is they would um, have a, a Gentile be immersed in water in order to cleanse them. So that was more of a modern ritual. So we're seeing that play out as we lead closer and closer to Jesus's day in the New Testament. And then finally, we actually get to the New Testament, and we've got the most famous Baptist, John the Baptist, right there, coming and baptizing. And so he kind of um, takes maybe what, what was common and then changes a little bit, and his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Yeah, he wasn't proselytizing... Gentiles, Gentiles to the Jewish faith, he was calling people. He was calling everybody, everybody, Jews and Gentiles, but basically Jews though. That was his audience. Yeah, to leave their life of sin 
And repent. And repent Mm -hmm. to get right with God. And so you see him calling them to that repentance and then this immersion in water that kind of gives you that sort of purifying effect. It's almost like, hey, I'm I'm leaving my life of sin. Right. You know, I'm I'm living for Christ. And his baptism is important for that reason, but more importantly is it actually points towards Jesus because he says, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one who's going to baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit and fire. <laughs> and it's interesting for us to point out that his baptism pointed forward to the coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Our water baptism points, points back. backward. Yeah. To the, and what, so he was pointing forward to what Jesus was coming to do. Our baptism, again, points back to what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I, I think the importance of John's baptism is played out in Jesus' baptism. So Jesus was actually baptized, and John couldn't believe it. He's like, you should be the one baptizing me. And he's like, no, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to be obedient to the Father. I'm going to um, be the perfect representation for all of humanity, and I'm going to lead the way. Um, his baptism is important because when he was water baptized, that's when the Holy Spirit fell on him like mm-hmm. a dove, and that's when he started his ministry right there. So Jesus even modeled right there the importance of baptism. Obviously, he didn't need to repent of sin or be cleansed from sin or anything like that, but I think we see the importance of there through his example. He was an example. And I love, you know, it's, it's, he said that we need to do this to fulfill our righteousness. Let me just give you a, a modern way of understanding. John, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I'm trying to model for you that if you're going to be a follower of me, getting water baptized is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's why you can't dismiss this or put it off or ignore it. That's about as strong a statement and examples we can get is you must be water baptized because if Jesus did it to model it for us, then we need to follow his example and do it. Absolutely. Well, um, from this point, we wanted to give you kind of like a quick overview, overview but let's get – Right into it. Like, what does this New Testament baptism commanded by Christ actually symbolize? What's what's the point? So let's start off with this. Um, it's being immersed, being baptized in Christ's death and his resurrection. Let me read the scripture real quick. This is uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the Apostle Paul here gives us um, extreme importance into the symbolism of baptism, and that it's through baptism we unite ourselves or identify ourselves with the work of Christ, specifically his death and his resurrection. So when we look at baptism, um, you know, Paul's saying here when when Christ died and you know, you're united with him, you're old, you died. Your, your flesh died. You're sinful, you died. But if we've been united with Christ in his death, certainly we're united with him in his resurrection, which means, no, we don't continue to sin that grace may abound. We walk in newness of life because we've been baptized or immersed or 
you know, joined together with Christ. That's what that, you know, that full immersion is representing here. So we can walk in, in newness of life and we don't have to sin anymore. There is a very strong biblical concept. You don't hear a lot of preaching and teaching on it. Um, and maybe it seems ethereal and it's kind of hard to, to connect it to the pragmatism of the day by day living for Jesus. But, but Paul actually talks about you've been buried with Christ, raised with Christ, made to sit with him in heavenly places. Mm. So there is not only a union with his death and resurrection, but his ascension and exaltation. Wow. Because when he went back to heaven, he, we know he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul carries it all the way out. And, his, and he says, just like Jesus died, when you got saved, you died. The old you died. Just like Jesus came back to life, you've come to a new life in Christ where you're now a believer, a transformed, born-again, child of the living God. You're not the same person you are, you were as a sinner. You're now different. You have been lifted up above this world. Okay, we're in this world but not of this world. And now positionally, you say, well, I'm not in heaven. I'm on earth, exactly. Mm -hmm. But positionally. In the eyes of God, it's as if you're already there. Wow. Your destiny is heaven. Your place is heaven. And your your destiny is the throne of God, which is the place of ruling. And we know that in the millennial reign, we will be priests and kings and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So in the eyes of God, positionally, you are no longer who you used to be. You're dead in sin. That's why you need to see yourself like mm-hmm. God sees you. And in the positionally, in the eyes of God, you are resurrected to new life. You're a new person. So you need to see yourself like God sees you. Wow. And in the eyes of God, you are no longer in this world, but you've been raised up above this world. You need to see yourself as God sees you, okay? And in the eyes of God, you are already seated in heaven in his right hand on the throne as a priest and a king. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. That's, That's powerful, good. isn't it? That's and, good. And it all starts with baptism, with the death and the resurrection, the coming of life. Wow. And we can we just love doing this. Take it all the way back to Genesis. Look what Christ has done through our union with him. We were created in the image of God to represent God, to rule on his behalf on the earth. Yep. And now through Christ and through his ascension, positionally, we are ruling with Christ. And literally, when he comes back, we will do that. Yes. Just for, like we were created to be. Yeah, for a thousand so years. So we see that in, in baptism. I think that's fantastic. We're the the, the second point is very similar, so sorry if we're harping on it again, um, but I want to use this specific term. Through baptism, we see the putting to death of the flesh, or what we would use the term regeneration. So Colossians 2, 10 through 15, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, it's... Really, Paul's making a very similar point as he made in Romans, but I just wanted to give you further scripture here. And and what we see is is Paul saying he gave you a, a circumcision um, that was made without hands. In the Old Testament specifically, we, we see a lot of talk about circumcision of the heart. That means your heart is 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 set apart. Your heart is 
made clean. It's made right towards God. You actually care. It's the inward spiritual reality of the outward sign. And so through this baptism, we see this idea of regeneration, where the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. He breaks that power of sin, so sin doesn't hold you captive anymore. You know, you've put off the body of flesh, and now you can you can live right and live for him. So I just kind of want to reiterate that point and just give you some more scriptural, uh, you know, right. I'm to say, Water, source for that. Right. Water baptism is, is uh, now it doesn't, and we got to talk about this. Water baptism doesn't do anything to you. Is the representation? It's a representation of what Christ is doing in you and through mm-hmm. you. And so, what Paul is saying here is that by and let, let's back up a minute. So, what's the imagery in water baptism? Uh, I've baptized so many people, you know, through the years, thirty-one years of ministry. Uh, I take them under the water and then I bring them out. Okay, I've also done more funerals than I can ever remember. And in a funeral, I'm there at the cemetery, and thank God they don't do it while we're there. But later, when we leave, they'll take the body of the deceased, and they place it in the ground. Okay, it's buried. So the symbolism is that the old me has died, the old sinful me, the fleshly me. When it says the flesh, it's talking about... Not my literal flesh, mm-hmm. but the carnal me, the sinful me, the person that rebels against God and does things because your flesh has desires to do things that God doesn't want you to do because of sin. That person dies and is buried. That's the symbolism going under the water. Come out of the water just like Jesus came up out of the tomb. You come alive. You come out. Resurrection power. There's an, there's a new me. I like to say this. I go in dry. I come out wet. I went down a sinner. I came up a saint when I got saved. Mm-hmm. So the symbolism and connection there is tremendous that I go in the water dry, but I come up wet. I'm changed. Different. Yeah. I'm different, okay, because of the water, okay? And and so the effect of Christ's work in me changes me. There's symbolism just right there and going in dry and coming out wet. So that's what it's talking about is the flesh is removed. I'm still in a body. But the power of sin and the power of the flesh has been removed from me, and now I'm not fleshly, I'm spiritual. I'm not dead anymore. That's why people who are, are sinners, they don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to, they don't want to have anything to do with God because their spirit's dead. But my spirit's made alive. I become a spiritual being, which, at which I'm created to be. Mm-hmm. And so baptism represents all that. By the way, there's something I'm seeing here that's pretty cool I've never even thought of that you know, it was through the cross that Jesus Christ defeated Satan. That last line is that he disarmed the rulers and authorities, means the devil. Yeah. And and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And, and when I remember um, that passage in Colossians, when it says disarmed him, it means to strip the hide off an animal. Wow. So Jesus, through the cross, stripped all the power of the devil off of him. And he, is, he was a naked Naked, powerless devil when Jesus got through with him on the cross. That's great. And, and then made a public spectacle of him triumphing. He put him to open shame means he made a public spectacle. Mm. Of him. And what that means is he stripped the hide off the devil, then said to all creation, you're afraid of this? <laughs> this is what you're afraid of? Yeah. Look what I've done to him. Wow. And so when we're water baptized, inherit within that act is the fact that we're not just free from sin and change and transform, but we're now overcomers of Satan. Wow. Declaring the power of Christ and the powerlessness 
of, of Satan, the, of who Satan. formerly had a hold on me, but yeah. not anymore. Because the sin-conquering work of Jesus on the cross is now appropriated to me. Absolutely. And that's why I'm more than a conqueror. He conquered him, so that makes me more than a conqueror. Wow. That's fantastic. That's a great point right there. Um, I, I think this is so obvious, but just it's worth pointing out through baptism, and we see the forgiveness of sins. You know, obviously, we, we think of that purification, that breaking from the power of sin, right, and more of like an everyday walk. But Paul says, you know, here in Colossians, that through baptism, we see the forgiveness of sins. So when we're being baptized, we're not only talking about the, the actual spiritual new life that we have through breaking from everyday sin, but we just, we even remember that we're justified. We're in right relationship with God in that beginning phase. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm forgiven. That's part of the one of the fundamentals of salvation and that's that's what you're saying is I'm forgiven, I'm changed, I'm mm. transformed. I'm I'm different. Yeah. I'm I'm I've got a new start. Yeah. Everything that I did and said and done that made me such a horrible sinner has been washed away. It's gone. Yeah. Not through water, but through the the, the blood of Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. But the water can be representative of the blood and the saving work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we remember the cross that 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 paid for our sins. I know that seems so simple, but I feel like sometimes we skip the regeneration. We skip to that new life, and we, we don't picture the, the actual forgiveness that's there, too. So, I, I, you know, I think that's fantastic. Um, now, here's one that I don't think we talk about a whole lot that I, that I think is unique. When we think of baptism, we think of the initiation into God's covenant community. Now, explain to me what does that look like the, when we say the initiation into God's covenant community? What are the Old Testament roots? What does that look like for us today? Well, I don't – again, the Old Testament is the covenant, Old Covenant. So the Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. So – there was a community of believers in the Old Testament, which is basically national Israel, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and so now in the New Testament, it's the Church of the Living God, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles who have been redeemed, born again. And so let's just focus on that. You've got a covenant community, which is we would call the church, okay, the, the universal church. You have a local church, but then you have the universal church, all of us who have been born again. Um, when you're saved, you're brought into that community of believers, Okay, so what we're saying is that um, water baptism is symbolic of your initiation into that community. So it's not like you have to be like, okay, you like you to get initiated to get in a club. Yeah. You're not really in the club till you've been initiated. That's not what it's saying. When you get saved, you're initiated into the club mm-hmm. or the church, not yeah. the club, um, <laughs> uh, but, but the church. But water is a representation of that initiation or water baptism is the, is the representation of that initiation. And the symbolism, there's so much symbolism in water baptism. Mm-hmm. That's why we're talking about this today. You guys hopefully are seeing all these things going, wow, I didn't know this. Um, when, when I go in the water to be water baptized and I'm immersed and, I'm, and I come up, at that moment of immersion and coming up out of the water, I am united with the water. I become one with the water, okay? The water doesn't become one with me. It's greater than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm out of my element. I'm in, in. I'm in that element. Yeah. Okay. And that's what happens when I get saved. I'm brought out of the element of sin in the world into the element of Christ in His church. So there's really 
First of all, there is a we talked about it just a minute. There's a union. We even talk about this, but I want to I want to bring them together for the last point. In this I think point. I mentioned it. I didn't explain it. Yeah, there is a union. Just as I'm united with the water, and the water is all over me now. It's changed me. It's mm-hmm. affected me. I'm wet. I'm now like the water. Okay. Water baptism represents that I have been united with Christ. I have been changed by Christ, and now I'm like Christ. Yeah. I'm like him. I'm in. I'm. I become the element of Christ. I'm in Christ. That phrase that Paul loved to use. Okay, and then I'm not just in Christ, but I'm in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. which is the church. You're united to the head, and right? You're the body, and yeah. you're the body. So I think that's what you're talking about. I know you talked about um, like the passage of scripture in Galatians. For many, as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So there is a baptism into Christ, and mm-hmm. that's what's happening. I'm being baptized into Christ. Um, and then the, the passage of first Corinthians that we were all baptized into one body. Um, of course, you know, again, that's a little different than this one, but still the concept is the spiritual um, concept, right? Yeah, the spiritual the concept. That, and that's the Holy spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a separate thing, but, but it is part of the salvation experience that the Holy spirit baptizes me or brings me into and joins me and unites me with mm-hmm. The body of Christ, yeah, the Church of the Living God, absolutely. So this this is really really important because um, um, I, I'm not just saved as a, in isolation. I become part of this greater mm-hmm. w- what somebody called the second incarnation. Wow, when Jesus was Christ on Earth in a fleshly body. Now Christ is still on the Earth, but He's in our fleshly bodies. Wow, so. that's good. And I think we see, too, like um, there, there's a connection there between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament, just in the sense that if you were going to be a part of the Jewish community, you would be circumcised. It was a sign, right? And then for baptism, this is the sign now that you're in the covenant community. There's a little yeah. connection there. That Just to kind of give you an understanding of like, okay, what do you mean by a covenant sign? This was no foreign concept. This was kind of the, the new thing now. And this is partially why the church argued so much over circumcision and while they're like, well, no, that's not our thing anymore. That was, that was for the Jewish faith. We do baptism now. That was the old covenant sign. This is a new covenant. We need a new sign. And that new sign is, is it? Yeah. And I mean, um, just some things that I didn't mention, but, uh, in baptism, um, we, you know, we, we talked about Jesus was baptized. Okay. His disciples baptized people. Just, just to kind of get that idea of the New Testament, because that's kind of the context mm-hmm. here. Um, he commanded disciples to be baptized. And then what was the next part as we're talking about this new covenant community? The early church baptized people. Mm-hmm. They may, and if you read it, there's just constantly their water baptized. And so I just want to say this because this was a really great line as we were preparing for this. The early church never conceived of a, belie- of a believer remaining unbaptized. Yeah. They wanted you to be baptized, not just because it was a commandment, the right thing to do, but because they wanted you to, to, to make that public profession that I'm united with Christ and I've been, my sins have been forgiven and I'm part of this covenant. I'm no longer like, I'm no longer one of them. That is the world. I'm one mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. The church. And that's why it is a, that's another thing is a public profession of your faith, but more of your faith is, is that I'm part of the greater Body, I'm I'm part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why people who say I don't have to go to a local church, I don't have to be part of a church, I can stay home and watch church on on um, TV, it, TV or, or that yeah whatever and or live stream on my on the internet whatever. 
uh, yeah, you can watch that, but you're not part of the church. That's 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 a significant part of being a believer, and baptism shows that. Yeah, you know, I'm part of the church of the living God. Yeah, I agree, and I and I think too, as you're talking about that, that the early church didn't conceive of a believer who wasn't baptized. It seems like the early church saw that baptism is the natural follow up to repentance, almost in an immediate sense. Now, I'm not saying that they prescribe that as soon as you get saved, you gotta you've got to go get baptized right now. Obviously, we don't. A lot of churches we don't practice like that, where you immediately get baptized. But the church saw it as um, so important that as soon as you repented, as soon as you were saved, you know, um, on the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> the apostle Peter said, you know, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's just this natural follow-up right there. It was seen as important. It was seen as, this is, if we want to talk about uh, next steps, kind of some language we're using in our church. Took the words out of my mouth. He's, you know, the early church seems to go, your next step, you know, as soon as you can, as soon as we can make it happen, go go get baptized. And, And we need to point this out. It was the immediate next step. Yeah. I mean, it was the immediate next step. Uh, at our church, we 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 have a struggle because we don't have a baptismal mm-hmm. pool built into our church, so we have to s- assign dates and we use the local YMCA, and so it kind of turns into a big thing because we go several months and then we have all these people that are saved, and then but yeah. but, but it makes it a big celebration, yeah, because we'll have quite a few people, uh, but that's kind of because we're you know we're hindered, yeah, but um, um, still we're not going to let it go by. I mean, we still tell people, but, but the early church, it was like, let's do it, do it, do it now. Where's some water. (laughs) You're saying where's some water. Let's do it now. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, this makes me want to tell a funny story Go for it. Um, We did a church picnic years ago at, at, at the lake at Lake Hartwell here in Anderson. And, and we were at a park and had, and so we decided while we were out there having the church picnic that we would integrate a water baptismal service into the picnic. We thought that would be a cool thing to do. So we had several candidates and so I waded out into the water. They, they had it cordoned off. Where we were in the park, it was a swimming area. Mm-hmm. So it was just perfect. You know, it was waist deep. So I waded out, and people were up on the shore, the candidates preparing to come in, you know, and everybody was coming in. So I went ahead and waded out. Well, I kept feeling this pinching on my legs. <laughs> I mean, it hurt. I'm like, what is that? And I'm going, ouch, ouch. I'm down there reaching down. I can't feel anything. I'm like, what is happening to me? And I looked down, and it was bluegills. Or brims, no. they will bite you. And so these little bluegills were coming up, nibbling, biting, you. <laughs> biting on my leg. And I, it was like piranha, man. I'm glad they didn't have teeth. And I'm like, the candidates, hurry up, get in here. That was the fastest water baptismal service I ever did in my life. I was dunking those people and getting them out. And then I got out of the water because I, I was getting attacked. That's hilarious. Yeah, true story. True story. So maybe it's better to do it in a pool. Uh, yeah, so you don't that's get right. It. That's right. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Um, well, I think that's good as we actually transition into the mode of baptism or how do we do baptism? Where do we do it? How do we do it? Who can do it? We've talked about what it symbolizes. What, is it, what does it have to look like? Um, so I would start off by saying this. Um, only professing believers can be baptized. You often hear this called a believer's baptism. Um, yes or no? Tell me why. Oh yeah, because of the of what it represents. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's, I remember one of my professors. Um, he was years ago in Bible college. He said uh, somebody came up to me and said, "Doctor Voris, his name is George Voris." He said, "Doctor Voris, well, I'm concerned." He said, "How come?" As a student, 
He said, didn't you hear in the news that all the Satanists are fasting against we Christians? And Dr. Vorst started laughing. And he said, listen, what good's their fasting going to do? He said, all you got is a bunch of hungry Satanists. <laughs> and he funny. said, fasting only works for us who are believers. Yep. He said, then God moves. You know, Satan can't move against us. So he said, all you got is a bunch of hungry Satanists. So it only works for us. I think it's the same way. If you are not saved and born again and you go get water baptized, you're just a wet sinner. Yeah. Okay. So you have to be born again. And that's when it has any, it's when it has significance and meaning. I'll tell you what else, you're a hypocrite. Yeah. I mean, you're professing publicly to be something that you're not. And what you're going to do is then you're going to go back and live the life of sin. And then people are going to see it and then they're going to nail you for it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah, it has to be something done um, by the believer because of the symbolism uh, of the change that's happened mm-hmm. in your life. We would say that baptism, going on to the next thing, is typically done in public, right? That profession of faith. Would you say this is not a hard, fast rule? And I mean, what I mean by this is you don't have to be surrounded by the members of your local church, technically. So, for instance, take like the Ethiopian eunuch baptized by Philip. Were they the only two believers really there? I would say probably not because the Ethiopian eunuch, and I see where you you get that, and I'm with you because that seems to be an example where yep. there, was, there wasn't the church. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be the church. It just has to be public. Think about John the Baptist. When he was doing it, there was no church. Mm-hmm. But he would go out in the Jordan, and people would, crowds would come to hear him preach. And then in that public setting, okay, he would baptize. So though you now become – I think what happens with the public setting is that you become accountable. Yeah. So whether it's sinners, saints, or a mixture, you're making a public profession, I'm changed. That's good. For them, it was I'm repenting from my sins and turning towards the coming Messiah. For us is I have repented of my sins and I have been saved by the Messiah who has come. Mm-hmm. So there's there's so let me go back to the eunuch. The eunuch was not traveling alone. I mean there were there were bandits and mm-hmm. thieves and and so and he was a government official. He had an entire entourage with him. He had a crew. He, he had, had a crew. Squad. He had a squad. He had a crowd. So with soldiers and other government officials and administrators and secretaries and whoever he had with him, mm-hmm. he was a high government official. Yeah. So there was a crowd that watched him. So, yeah, it needs to be done in public, as a, I think, to make that public profession, and I think it creates accountability. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's great. Now, here's the big one, um, and this is where all of our Baptist friends are going to like, baptism by immersion. Um, you know, if if you're not super in the church world or if you have maybe just a Baptist background or, or you know, a church God background or whatever, this may not seem like a – Really, like even a conversation to you. There's there's a lot of talk and a lot of hoopla and a lot of disagreements over the history of church of whether you have to be immersed or whether you can just be sprinkled and all of that. Um, why do we believe that in baptism you need to be immersed in the water and then brought back up? Do we have one biblical warrant for that? And two, as we've explained, the symbolism does the symbolism necessitate that i think so uh in the evangelical movement so i know you were throwing out denominations just we'll paint a broad brush in the evangelical movement which would encompass encompass all the pentecostal churches the um the baptist church many the holiness movement the Mm -hmm. nazarenes whatever um generally speaking it's it's immersion you get into high church you get into some Mm -hmm. places you're sprinkled they're sprinkling 
Okay, something something along that line. So that's often the question: Is you, are you sprinkled? Do, can they just pour a cup of water over your head? Yeah, and now you're baptized, or should it be immersion? Um, the Greek word for immerse or, or baptize rather is baptizo, and it means immersion. Mm-hmm. It means to go under. And without getting into all the details, um, I, you know, Barnabas had said they went down and came up. Jesus went into the water, came up out of the water. Mm-hmm. So there, there always seems to be historically it was seen as going under the water immersion. I think for the symbolism, the immersion seems to play the best. It, it makes the most sense. It makes to the me. most sense because we talked about being buried, and and in the Bible talks about being buried mm-hmm. with Christ, raised with Christ. So the symbolism I think is most fulfilled in immersion. Yeah, I agree. And uh, even you mentioned Justin Martyr earlier, writing in the how do you say this DDK. Would that be correct? I have no idea. DDK. I thought it was the Dadash. I don't know what it is. This early Christian, circa 8100, uh, kind of rule for Christian practice. Um, it, it was written down, and uh, it, it won, and it implies that there's a teaching process, which we typically, you know, obviously we want to confirm, do you understand? Uh, do you understand what it means to be saved? There's a teaching process of the church. Um I thought this was interesting that we don't do and that I don't find necessary. They actually asked those who were being baptized to fast before the baptismal event. But getting uh, back on topic, they would say um, that you should be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they said in living water, which I thought was interesting, so a river or a stream. So that's what they would try and do. That was preferred. If they couldn't, then they would just try and um, do it in cold water. So we're still in immersion. And then if none of these options were available, they did allow you to pour a cup of water over someone's head in, in, in the three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they allowed some concessions, you know, in the DDK or however you say it. But uh, it, it seems that in AD 100, the preferred method was immersion. While you were speaking, I Googled there are 18 different ways to say that word. Oh, boy. So I have no, no idea, clue. and I'm not going to play it pick. out loud while we're recording. So we'll figure that afterwards. Take your pick. So, but I think I think immersion really works. The I think best. it captures the heart of the symbolism of being united with Christ. Yeah, and, and it represents the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ too. And and at the end of the day, we would say that this is a a secondary topic, right? This is not an essential. An essential. There's no need to fight and argue and hit each other over something like this. <laughs> right. You know, so uh, there's just no point in arguing with a bunch of people about it. We can talk about it. We can think through it, but that's what it is. All right. Now, let's now that we, we're kind of on that, let's end also with three, um, three ideas of baptism that people have maybe disagreed with over the years. So we've already talked about baptism by immersion. Now, this is a big one, especially, once again, if you're in high church, if you're in Catholic church, if you're in something like that, and that's the idea of infant baptism. Um, why or why not infant baptism? Okay, for, for me, and I know for I think for you as well, it's, it's not. Um, we are yes. not proponents of infant baptism. We would be, like I said earlier, believers baptism. Well, and that's exactly one of your main points right there is um, is that you believe and are baptized. Mm-hmm. Okay, so an infant cannot believe because it's, it doesn't have the capability. It's an infant, so that's one. Um, 
two, you we already talked about it is an initiation right, if you will. I, I don't like that word, but it mm-hmm. is a right. Yeah. But, but it has a lot of depth and meaning and spirituality to it. Into a believing community, the church, okay, into a believing community. All right, so you're you're coming in saying, I believe with you. I'm believing what you believe. I'm I'm in the faith. Uh, again, an infant cannot believe. Mm-hmm. Therefore, how can you initiate? You say, well, does that mean my child can't be part of the church? No, it can be by by virtue of being your child. But at some point, that child has to believe and choose to be a member of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right now you sanctify it. You set it apart and bring it into the church just because it's your child. Third, um, repentance is necessary. Yep. Peter said, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission or forgiveness of your sins. Okay, so an infant can't repent. Yeah. And if it could, what would it repent of? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it reminds me of the story of a little five-year-old boy that his his dad was an evangelist and would travel and would always give his testimony. And once, one Sunday his dad said, son, why don't you just come up here and take this mic and and why don't you just testify to these people? And he said, I was a drunkard and I was in the gutter and God saved me. He just said everything his dad said. He's five years old. I was a drunkard. I was just terrible in the gutter, but God pulled me out of the gutter. You know, what is it? What's a child going to yeah. repent of? He can't repent. Um, Mentally. And, yeah. and then finally, there is no New Testament indication of infant baptism. Mm-hmm. Now, what some people say is, oh, yeah, there was because it says that when, when Paul, Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail, and God delivered them, you know, and the jailhouse rocked, that the jailer and all of his family were saved and, uh, and, 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 and even baptized. But just because it says the entire family, what they're saying is uh, that means there, I bet there were infants in it. And so there's a several times where they say, sure, there were infants, but you can't argue from silence. Exactly. Everybody in his family may have been grown adults. And it may have just been a use. Just the way they used words. Even if there were infants, they may just naturally mean all of his adults. Yeah, you know, or it could have been he and his wife. Yeah. And that was the family. Yeah. So you can't make it say something that it doesn't say. So now here's here's an argument that I do want to put forth just to see what you say. They would say, Well, if the covenant initiation into Abraham's family, right? And that's kind of been replaced a little bit, spiritually speaking, by the church, well they they circumcised children. You're circumcised on the eighth day of your of your existence. Ishmael was circumcised, right. and he and he went off and did his thing. Isn't can we not do the same thing? Bring him in the covenant community and hope they they live that out. Make that decision later on. No, because circumcision was a sign of another covenant, and so you 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 can't take look under the old covenant. We stone people. Under the old covenant, there were four thousand. I'm just being. I'm making up that number. Purification laws. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there is a distinction. You can't say that just because something was done under the old covenant that that justifies the method or even the existence of doing something in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the circumcision was um, was a sign of. Uh, of Judaism of being becoming a Jew, a believer. You know, so there was a. There was an element there, even for a Gentile. So it's it's something totally different, and I think it's apples and oranges. Um, that that that's really kind of you. You have to push that and strain to try to make that correlation without really much New Testament warrant. No, I think. no, there's no so. New Testament support for that. Mm-hmm. Still, yeah, I uh, agree. 
Now, here's one um, that I think is really interesting that is, is very relevant, and I feel like it's asked a lot, especially. Well, wait a minute. Can we can we stay on this one more yeah, time? Yeah, go for it. Uh, and this is the pastor coming out of me. Um, because somebody might be listening right now, a parent, and they have not an infant, but they have a child. And a lot of parents want to see their children baptized. Mm-hmm. And so we haven't answered a question that right now somebody just was going, oh, man, I was hoping they'd talk about that. Yeah. So that's why I want to go back. When is the right age? That's good. When is the right age? Okay, so here's what I did as a pastor. I tried to set an age. And, man, did that backfire and bite me <laughs> in the toes. I mean, whoa. <laughs> Uh, I had an uproar of some families because Uh-oh. I was dictating when their child could be water baptized, and they did not like that. And what I, it sounded like is you were dictating when their child could be actually saved. Well, is that not what it came no, across not as? not saved. Just no, didn't come across. But just that I was keeping them when that parent mm-hmm. thought that they were ready, and I was making a judgment call on their child that. They're not ready because I was – and I don't, I don't remember. This has been years ago. I don't know if I said, you know, we want them to be like 10 yeah. or something. We were trying to find an age. We felt like they would really understand the meaning. Well, I got pushback on that from some parents. So I had to back up five yards and punt and think <laughs> and, and say, okay, is that what I need to do? Is that what the church needs to do? Or is this – do I need to handle this differently? So what I did is I made an adjustment. And I relegated that decision back to the parents. Now, I made, I made a statement. I said, if they are five years old or younger, I will not baptize them. I will not do it. I said, now, you, you can find somebody else. And if you mm-hmm. want them five years of age, I just think that's too young. Yeah. I think it was five and younger. Or it was younger. Five, maybe it was less than five. I can't remember now. I've got it written down. I said, but I'm not going to do it. Because now this is no longer about you, it's about me. Mm. I cannot in good conscience do that and feel like that this is not this is meaningless. Yeah. Okay. But if they're whatever the age is, I can't remember right now. You thought it's terrible, you can't remember. But I'm pretty sure it's five. Um I've got it written down. It's been because we don't usually have this problem. Usually parents wait till they're yeah. the reason I'm saying is I can't remember the ages because this it's no longer really an issue. Usually parents get them when they're Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if that, I, I'll ask the parent. I'll say, look, you have to assure me that you, you've explained it to them. Oh, they, they'll say, yeah, we've explained, we've talked about it. They understand. And then I say, okay, that's that's between you and God. Then I, I can, in good conscience, water baptize them. But I can't at a certain age back. I'm just not going to do it. What I'm, would you say, just pastorally speaking, to a parent that maybe they're they're ready for it and they, you know, they're their kid maybe seems a little bit young, but they're really pushing it. Would you be able to say to them, like, hey, God understands, and we're not saying that your kid's not saved, and it's okay to wait until you feel like they fully grasp it and they're not in any – you're not in, in some kind of spiritual crisis? What you know? What would you – would you be able to comfort a parent and say, hey, it's okay if you wait? I, I, I handle each case different. If those parents are just adamant, and they feel like my child's ready. I led my child in, to Christ. They prayed. They're ready. They have my they have my approval. I don't try to talk them out of it. It's not worth it. If though. they if they want to talk about it, then I'll be happy to sit down and say, okay, I know you've led your child to Christ, but do you do you feel like they really will understand this? And here's what I'll tell them: because my whole life's ministry, and we're about to get into this, I have had people 
as adults come back and say, I want to be baptized again because I was baptized as a child and my Mm. parents wanted me to get baptized and I did it, but it didn't really have the significance and meaning then. Well, let's go and talk about it. That was our okay. second question, isn't it? Just keep going. Well, that's the, because keep that's going. and that's why we talk about rebaptism. Should you be baptized more than once? And and so, if I could say it to parents, if I could get the parents to think they're really, you know, the ones that are pushing hard, I want my child to be baptized. Is like, is it really, really going to make that significance? Is the significance going to be there, or are they going to be one of those people that twenty years later? are going to come to me after they've grown up and got married, and they're going to say, look, my parents had me get baptized when I was six, seven, eight. It really didn't mean as much as it does now because I lived this life for, for Christ. Can I be baptized again? I tell those people yes mm-hmm. because they want to make a public profession. It it means a lot to them. They say, I want to publicly say to everybody that I am born again and I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I did it as a child, but I mean, it was a, it just didn't carry the weight then, is what it does now. The significance to me. So sometimes I wonder, with all due respect, is if parents pushing to get their kids baptized, it's meaning more to the parents than it is that child. Not always, though. Mm-hmm. There are children who will go to their parents and say, "I want to be baptized, mom, dad." As eight, nine year old, ten year old, and then those parents will sit down and talk with them. They'll say, Do you understand what it means? They'll go through it, and then they'll come to me and say, Look, we've explained it. They want to do this. At that case, I'm like, Oh, you know what? Okay, let's mm-hmm. do it. Because I think I got water baptized when I was 10. Yeah, I don't know what age I was, but I was young. But I understood I it. School, yeah. You know, it had been explained to me. Mm-hmm. So I understood what I was doing. So it's, um, I put it back on the parents, and then, but then it gets back around as sometimes. We rebaptize people, and usually that's why. Usually, it's mm-hmm. uh, the other reason why people get rebaptized um, is that they did it when they were in youth camp. They did it even as a teenager, mm-hmm. young teen. They got then what happens is that they get older. Uh, a lot of times, there's a crisis of faith. Your faith is undeveloped, and and then you leave that faith. Okay, we call it backsliding, mm-hmm. and then people become adults. They go off to college, and they're just back in sin, man. They're just living now. They're acting like there's not even a Jesus. So, then um, they get married, and they come back to the Lord. And what happens is they'll come to me and say, "Look, I got baptized when I was a kid. I got baptized in youth kit, but I got away from the Lord. I mean, re- but I've really I've given my life to Christ now as an adult, and now I'm really serving Jesus. I'm all in. Yeah, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving." I really feel like I need to be baptized again, and sometimes it's to let Jesus know. Yeah, they just want to do it to, for for out of obedience. They feel like you know this time it, it 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 matters, and then again they want that public profession is I want you to see me yeah. now in this stage of my life from here on out that I'm a fo-. so I I don't think there's anything wrong with being rebaptized in those cases. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think it's because it sounds like a lot of those are born out of a mature faith. Out of a true desire to please Christ, you know, as as a true desire to make that public profession that's relevant to now, you know, I, I think that's wise. Well, and then in <clears throat> Acts chapter nineteen, uh, Paul found twelve men, approximately twelve men, who had been baptized under the baptism of John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So they were looking forward to Jesus, and Paul said, "Well, what baptism were you baptized in?" And they said. Baptism of John, so they didn't have a fullness of the understanding of Christ. They had repented of their sins, but they didn't hear the rest of the gospel. They knew the Messiah was coming. They didn't know he'd come. Yeah. So Paul got to tell them, "Hey, well, he came." His it says name that was, he preached the gospel to them, right? right? He preached yeah. the gospel to them, and then they got saved. Yeah. 
looking now backwards to the accomplished work of Christ, and Paul rebaptized them in in the name of Jesus. By the way, let's can we talk about that for a minute? We haven't mm-hmm. talked about that. The the baptismal formula is to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And when I baptize people, when you baptize people, I always say I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I take them under and bring them out. There are scriptures that says that they were baptized in the name of Christ. Yeah. Several of them. I don't know that that's where there's a conflict in scriptures. I just think that that phrase represents that they weren't that it's a it's a, a differentiation a, a differentiating of um the baptism of John or the baptism mm. of being a Jewish proselyte or being baptized as a Judaizer. I'm being baptized in the name of Christ. So I think there may be the that that doesn't mean that you you can say I baptize you in the name of Christ and you I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Because of what Jesus said, I'm always going to baptize w- with the Trinity. God the Father, yeah. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But so cuz some people might read that and say I don't understand that. I just think it's a it's saying I'm being baptized into Christ now, not some of these other cuz there are all kinds of organizations baptizing people. And my understanding is that in the ancient context, to do something in the name of someone is to do something aligning with their will and their purpose. It's an association with that person. So to do, you know, to, to, to pray in the name of Jesus is not a magical formula or something like that. It's I'm praying upon the authority and the will and the association and everything else of Jesus, right? So to do something, you know, in you know, in the to baptize someone in the name of Christ is to baptize somebody, baptize somebody upon the will and the understanding and the association of Christ, who is divinely connected, one in essence, power and glory with the other members of the Godhead, and who commanded to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, so. and we don't serve three gods; there's one God. Absolutely. And if that's confusing, go back to podcast <laughs> number one. Yes. Well, two, two, but yeah. All right, now as we close out, we just got a few minutes left. Here's um, <clears throat> here's a problem that I think is fun to talk about. Um, here's a problem that listeners you may not even know exists, <laughs> but this one is just a good time. We always talk about baptism as being symbolic of of a work of God. There are those uh, who believe, I believe in the Catholic Church, maybe the Orthodox, uh, maybe real high Anglican, um, uh, and I, and I've heard some others. Church of Christ, Maybe. I have heard, but they may disagree with that. So if you're in the Church of Christ and you don't believe in baptismal regeneration, I'm sorry. But there are some who believe in the idea of baptismal regeneration. And so the idea goes like this, is that you aren't regenerated by the Holy Spirit, or you aren't um, the, the, the power of sin isn't broken from your life. You aren't purified from your sins until you have experienced water baptism. And I think the idea is that, um, you know, they're, they're not going to say that physically the water cleanses you, but that God, God is in the water, right? That God sanctifies it as grace, his presence is in it, whatever. Well, not, yeah, not so much that. I mean, that may be for some, but it's, I think it's more that it's necessary. That it happens it's necessary. in baptism. Yeah, or that baptism is necessary for salvation to occur to you. Yes. In other words, it's part of the saving experience. It's almost like a two-part formula in yeah, a way. Like you the, have faith in Christ, but then you need to be baptized. Or you're not saved. Or yet. you're not saved, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so I, I think we need to talk about this. Um, 
and just get clarity. And the reason I say is there may be some scriptures that you come along and you go, okay, this seems like you need to be baptized to be saved. Um, so let's start with the first one. Uh, Jesus himself talking to Nicodemus, um, John chapter three, verse five. Um, he says this, except a man be born again of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So it really sounds like he's talking about baptism. You know, John the Baptist, not many, you know, a chapter or two before this is baptizing. Um, how do you deal with that? All right. So several ways. First of all, born again of water. Never was John the Baptist in baptizing. Never was there ever talk about being born again. This is a this is a concept of Jesus. So this is regeneration. This is the new birth. This mm-hmm. is salvation. So he is he is he's talking about um, uh, a, a, a salvation experience. Yeah. Okay. And so there are a couple of arguments here that um, that the water could just represent cleansing. You talked about that. Okay, so there's we're not quite sure here, but there's talk about cleansing, um, born born of the water. Okay, is born again of the water. It, it, there's often the concept of a natural birth and a spiritual birth. Mm-hmm. Like you know when a, when a woman's giving birth, her her water will break. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's known to be part of the birthing process, and um, so when that happens, then you know the baby's coming. So that there's there's arguments that to be born of water means to be a natural birth, mm-hmm. but then there has to be born of the spirit is the spiritual birth, yeah. regeneration, be born again. But but just because he talks about being born again of the water does not say that. that just to put it this way, there's no mention of baptism here. You're, you're gonna you're gonna be stretching it if you try to make it say that. So contextually, you've got to look at this and go do. Is there anything that's going to really point to baptism, or are there just too many options here? Yeah, exactly. Seems like, and I, I believe in John chapter. Is it the next chapter? Is it chapter four, where he actually makes a reference to, to, to water, just representing the Holy Spirit? I'm screwing this up so bad. I'm so sorry. There, there's something there in the next chapter where he makes it abundantly clear that you know of. Some something does he say drink of the spirit or something like that? I'm sorry, I'm just well. No, it's with the uh, um, the woman at the well. Yes, okay, yeah. Okay. Where he said that you you drink of the living water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is very abundantly clear. So there's there's some things so, there that you could yeah. Point it could to. be that you know if you're born of water, it's of the living water. Yeah, of life. It, it could mean that exactly. Yeah. So as I'm saying, there's there are so many things that could fit there, but it, it, you would be forcing it, I think, to talk about being. Um, because I think the the Jews used water always to kind of refer to a natural birth. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think he's making because he said, "How can I, how can I be born again and go back into my mother's womb?" So you could be addressing the natural birth. The so that's natural why I said birth. it's the context seems to give more. It fits the context of a of a natural birth. Now, okay. what about this though? <clears throat> Speaking to the Apostle Paul, it says, "And now, why do you wait?" Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Acts twenty two fifteen through 16. Um, yeah, there's an answer for that. Um, when, when possible, you take 
the scriptures are always literal. Mm-hmm. Okay, you you do a literal interpretation. I should say, be a better way to say it. When possible, the literal interpretation is always the best interpretation. However, the Bible is filled with figures of speech, mm-hmm. similes, and metaphors. A lot of metaphors, analogies. So I think here this is a metaphor. I think this is this is symbol symbolic wording that Paul is using here. And again, um, if I remember right, in um, w- when this was happening, um, I'm trying to think. Um, it's in 22. Uh, let me just look and see. I think that was when Ananias. Uh, came to to him when he was it is, yeah. so he is a Jew, okay. So that washing away of your sins was a concept that he understood. You gotta remember, Paul was a horrible, horrible sinner and an incredibly devout, staunch Judaizer, yeah. okay, and hated Christians. So now he's had this road to Damascus experience, and he's had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus sends Ananias, a believer, to him to water baptize him. And he uses a phrase that Paul could understand, be baptized and wash your sins away. So he's I think there's a symbolism there because I don't know how much Paul understood about the blood of Jesus. Interesting enough, the guy ended up writing half of the New Testament and he understood yeah. a whole lot about the washing of the of the blood of mm-hmm. you know, Jesus washing the blood, Jesus washing our sins away. So we know okay, here here's what we know. Scripture interprets scripture. Paul himself, that the Ananias spoke to, said, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. Mm-hmm. I think that's in Ephesians. I'm pulling this, but I know that's that's in the Bible. Okay, I've got a lot of scriptures memorized. I know that one. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. So water does not wash your sins away. Okay, sins are, are a, an intangible, internal condition of the soul that an outward substance cannot affect. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of mm. Jesus. Okay, so there's a symbolism here. And just as that we've already talked about, there's a cleansing aspect represented in water baptism. Okay. Okay, yeah. so no, there, the, he, baptism didn't wash his sins away. Now, Only the blood of Jesus can. Now, here's the last one. You, you, know, you said Jesus didn't say it. You said the Apostle Paul didn't say it. It really sounds like the Apostle Peter is saying this this here, though. Mm-hmm. So, First Peter um, chapter three, eighteen through twenty two. I'm just going to read the whole thing. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven as at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He says, he says, baptism now saves you. He says that in this translation, and there are actually other translations that may do a better job with this, uh, but baptism is an anti-type, okay, of, um, the, uh, of, of the ark, okay? Um, 
that's and where it says where you read which corresponds to this is can be translated an anti-type. Mm-hmm. So an anti-type looks back to the Old Testament. A type looks you know can be represent something for. So an anti-type is the ark. Yeah. Did the ark save Noah and his family? Physically? No, it did not. God saved Noah and his family yep. by giving them the ark to that he never would have built. Well, how would have even gotten an ark if he wasn't the only righteous man on earth? Right. So, so through righteousness, God saved him through the ark. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the ark was did not save him. God saved him. The ark was just a representation of means. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's an anti-type here. Now, if you use other translations. The way this is, it says baptism now saves you. Other translations say it that we are saved through the resurrection. The, the emphasis is put on through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it may be that we're, we're struggling here with a translation. Yeah. Is the way this is worded is, and I would have to go get those other translations to look at this. It's not, and it's interesting, Peter says this. So I said, I think it's, we may be having a translation problem here. Yeah is that we know Peter says it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what saved you. Mm-hmm. Baptism, like the ark, is something that is part of the process. So the ark was pro- part of the saving process. Water baptism is part of that process, not to save you. Because other, again, scriptures interpret scriptures. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If water baptism can save me, then I'm part of the process. It's a work. Mm-hmm. So Peter would have never adhered to this. Peter would have never – he would have never said this. Mm-hmm. So I think what we have here is the whole emphasis here is on Jesus is resurrected, gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God. He's the, That's the part of the scripture – that is the emphasis here. Not the baptism Not part. the baptism. So I think we've got a wording in this translation that I've seen other translations um, that would, would change this. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that saves. The baptism symbolizes the purifying effect of that salvation. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, repentance and salvation and water baptism, we're – we're, we're closely connected. So even Peter said, repent and be baptized mm-hmm. on the day of Pentecost. So yep. I think with Peter, that's why you're seeing him mentioning baptism because he closely connects it. But again, it's just a symbol. It symbolizes a saving work of Jesus, which Peter puts the most of his, he mentions baptism, but then there, everything else in that verse is talking about the work, the work, the work of Jesus Christ. Yep. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I think you just gave us a lesson one in, uh, in, in in reading passages of Scripture properly and looking at uh, what are the main emphases. I think we just got a lesson in uh, hermeneutics. Uh, yeah, hermeneutics and understanding the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament and how the, the biblical writers will all, often reference back to them. And I think with the other Scriptures that you gave us, um, one of the, the key tools is in, in any uh, topic or any discussion, you always use the more clear scriptures to understand and interpret the less clear scriptures. It was a Calvin who said scripture interpret scripture. Absolutely. And and let me just say this so that there's clarity on this, okay, on this baptismal regeneration. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me touch a few more things. Okay. Baptism in the new Testament always presupposes um, faith and salvation in the believer. 
Mm-hmm. You, you you called it a believing baptism. Yeah. Okay. So that that's one. Now a passage you. So that's one thing. Um, here's the next thing: to insist that water baptism is necessary to be saved is akin. I'm gonna use that word. Don't use that word much. Is related to <laughs> the the issue that Peter and Paul faced. That this is why I know that Peter is not saying here that baptism saves you. Because it is, it is related to the issue that Peter and Paul faced in the early church when the Judaizers tried to say that you had to be circumcised to be saved. They you hold, can still have faith in Jesus, but you'd also have to add that circumcision. Or you're that. not That's saved. What yeah. That's what, and they had that council, the Jerusalem Council, which yeah. is in Acts 15, which was a major – this was a big deal. And if you read the book of Galatians – Paul is fighting this because the Jewish believers were trying to add a work to the saving work of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and Paul fought this tooth and nail. Peter fought it too. Peter fought it too. Yeah, and he he said, "No, you are only saved by you know we walked with Jesus. You are saved by faith through Jesus Christ, and that nothing else." Yeah. So this was a big deal. So they never added anything else. There is never. In the New Testament, the idea that you have to be water baptized in addition to grace by faith. Now, um, you mentioned a denomination. I won't mention it again, but they believe, okay, that that they take the passage in Mark sixteen sixteen that says, "Whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whosoever does not believe is condemned." Or will be condemned. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a Mark passage in Mark sixteen sixteen. Now, the first problem with that, I don't have a problem with it, but there are a lot of scholars who even question whether or not that is supposed to be in Mark. That because it's, it's at the very, very end, and it's questionable. Yeah. I don't question it because because it talks about speaking in tongues and handling snakes and drinking poison. So they they some people question. I don't I don't question it. Okay, I don't have a problem. With it. I think all of it. But so that's one. But I don't, I don't question. So let's say that it's supposed to be there. What they say is, well, they say, no, wait a minute. It says, whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Okay. Well, that's right. But then that, but, but, but the rest of scripture doesn't say that. The rest of scripture says that by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it doesn't add a work. It says there's not any works added to it. Okay. Every other scripture we're saying says baptism is just a symbolism and is tightly connected with it. They, they would get mm-hmm. baptized right away, but it was a representation of the work that Christ had done in you. Okay. Well, here's two arguments. So why didn't G- Jesus then say, but whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. Mm-hmm. But he does it. He says, whoever believes and is baptized, there's a connection, will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. The, the saving goes with believing. The condemning goes with not believing. Okay? Yeah. So there's your problem. I, I don't think Jesus was adding baptism to be saved. Okay? I think he was just saying that he was expecting that, that was going to happen as part of the Great Commission, whatever. So that's one thing. Here's the one that's the biggie for me. 
So if I if the argument is I have to be saved and water baptized to go to heaven or I can't go to heaven because that's what they believe. So they believe that even if you put your faith in Jesus, prayed the sinner's prayer, and served the Lord, but you're never water baptized, you are not going to go mm-hmm. to heaven. That's what they say. Okay. What do you do with a thief on the cross? They would probably just say and it's an exception. Well, and there you go. Now you started taking scriptures and making exceptions. Yep. And once you start making exceptions, where does that road end? Okay. By keeping salvation to a work of grace through your faith, mm-hmm. you don't have to make exceptions. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross who could not get water baptized and was not water baptized, who died a few hours later. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. So that shows that salvation is only by faith. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus saved him. While Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, he saved that man. Yep. So, no, there is no baptismal regeneration. That's good. That's great. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, today's episode on baptism. I hope that you learned a lot and uh, and, and have a more robust understanding of baptism. Um, join us two weeks from now for the conclusion of Sacrament September. <laughs> It's going to be great. Well, we were talking about communion or the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, or the Eucharist, or all the other great names for it. It's going to be awesome. Um, but if you would, go ahead, pull up Facebook, pull up Instagram, find us at High Praises Church, send us a DM, send us your questions. Um, you know, if you have a question about today's episode, if you just, if you have a question from a previous episode, if you just have a random Bible question that you would like us to answer, send it in. We may answer it at the end of an episode, or we may even make an entire episode out of your question if it's just that good. And as always, subscribe to stay up to date on all of our episodes. Make sure to rate us. Give us a good review. Um, Five-star only, please. <laughs> please. Um, but as you rate it, it uh, you know through Apple's algorithm and everything, we will get more and more exposure, which means more and more listeners hearing about the good news of Jesus. Thank you so much, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. 